And um, yeah, we, we bless the Lord just for you. So let's just pray for him for a moment quickly. Father, I thank you for fellow this morning. Um, Father, it's my prayer, Father, that you would just grace his lips this morning, Father. I pray, Father, that he will bring that which is on your heart to us. I pray, Father, Lord, that we will receive. I pray, Father, that we will be hungry to receive the word of life, the bread of heaven that comes down. And, uh, Father, I pray for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Yes, God is um, just God is so good. Amazing just to be in his presence and just you know while we're just celebrating in God's presence as we worshiped him. I thought what it's like to go to war and knowing you were just you're calling out the name of the king. You know. You don't even have to put up pick up the, the weapon, you just call out the name of the king. How amazing is that. So it's a privilege to be here this morning. And um, we've had a wonderful time. A few of you guys that are here this morning were with us as we had the time here at Provence. <coughs> really been a, a great time and such a privilege. And I'm really excited what God has put on my heart because this morning when Anais shared a testimony, I thought how, you know, how God just connects things. Because she spoke about insulin intolerance and I had on my heart to speak about God's will for your diet. So... Um, yeah, so um, I've kind of lost my voice now with all the singing, but um, <clears throat> yeah, to speak on God's will for your diet. And um, I thought, you know, it's amazing how Jesus taught us that often he used parables. And the reason why he used the parables was to use something in, in this world, physical in this world, to, to explain to the people about what it's like in the kingdom of heaven, which, which they couldn't see at the time. Because he said, I'm here, I'm going to tell you the kingdom of heaven is right here. You know? so, and he wanted to teach them. So to, to use something in the physical of this world to explain what it's, what it's like. For instance, the prodigal son. He said, you know what? There was a father with two sons. And actually telling them the, about the heart of the father. You know? um, and then I want to speak about John chapter 6. If you want to open up there, John chapter 6 speaks about the the bread of life. And, um, but he had so many different parables just to speak on the, on the physical. Now, when we talk about food, all of us are different, and um, we look different, which is actually amazing. Otherwise, it would have been very boring. But I'm one of those very privileged people that I can eat whatever I want. I don't really gain weight. And my wife gets upset when I say that. Because she just looks at a piece of chocolate cake and she gains weight, you know. And I think there's a lot of you that can identify with it. <laughs> so, and I'm very predictable in a sense because I go to bed every night kind of the same time. I get up early in the morning, very much the same time. I get up before my, my alarm goes off. And then I prepare my oats and I prepare the, the coffee and I take my wife's coffee to her. It's very much the same every day, you know. Uh, I didn't want to say that in that way. But still, I do take the coffee. But when it comes to food also, I'm one of those guys, if you invite me or we go to the restaurant together, I will always kind of eat the same things. I don't try new things. I've only done that once when I ordered an anchovies pizza, and I've never tried something new after that. 
Because you always see in the movies, the, you know, the actors, they always speak about, yeah, I'm anchovies. I was like, what's that, you know? And then tried that and never again. So, but then there's those that, you know, you want to try new things. Um, and you are those people that experience what it's like to change when you do try, try new things. You know, you look at your cupboard and you say, these are the things I can wear in three months' time because I can only, this is only the clothes that fits now or because I, you know, you want to, those of you understand what I'm saying. So Jesus was traveling with the disciples and he's teaching the people. And those of you who were privileged to have visited the spot there in Israel, in Capernaum, um, kind of a mountain up there. And they say, if you stand at the bottom and you shout, speak quite loud, people can hear you if they sit up there. And Jesus was teaching them. And then he says to the disciples, so, you know, what are we going to give these people to eat? I mean, that's just a basic question. And then Andrew says, well... I don't know, you know. And then Peter, interesting that Peter says, hey, you know, there's a boy here with, with a few loaves and two fishes, you know. And then Jesus says, bring that here. And then he prays, you know that, what happens. And he feeds the, there were quite a few people because just the men were 5,000. And according to Eusephus, the Roman historian said, a Jewish family usually consisted in general about 10 people. So, if all the Jews went to Jerusalem for the, the Passover, it would have been closely 2 million people. That's why the Romans were kind of concerned about the Jews. So, would, they would have sold, if you didn't bring your own little lamb, they would have sold a lot of sheep in Jerusalem. That's why Jesus went to the temple, kicked out all the tables. Wrong word, he threw it over, but still, um, because they were making money. Not focused on helping people to look at the Father, you know. They were selling. They, it was good business. So there were a lot of people, and Jesus fed all of them. That's amazing. So they did see the sign, and they did see the miracle, and they were so impressed, and then it says they actually wanted to take him with force to make him their king. And then Jesus leaves. We read in this, and then John says, then he leaves. He went to the other side of the lake of Galilee, the next morning, the people tried to find him. They couldn't find him. And then they went. They crossed the lake to get to the other side. Long distance, close to 20 kilometers to get to the other side. And then when they find him, and this is where I want to pick this up in John chapter 6. On the next day, the crowd that remained, verse 22, on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. And other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks to the crowd. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. I just want to stop there first. You know, it's amazing that they saw this miracle, and when they arrived, and they said, when did you come here? And he doesn't answer that question. He says, you're looking for me for one reason, you ate your full. 
You literally had your stomach filled. And now just think about this. If you could have a king, these people were overtaxed. They were really suffering. You just go read the history books. They will tell you that they were really struggling. You read the account of Paul going to Jerusalem. The people that made the contribution were literally very poor people. And they gave from what they had. Because they loved their brothers. When those 3,000 people came to faith in Jerusalem, where would they go to? They can't go back home. They were persecuted. They would have been persecuted. So the Jews too, or the, the Christians took them in, looked after them, and so the church grew. And when the dispersion came, the people fled because of the persecution. The churches needed support, but they were struggling financially. So in general, the people were poor. And just think how nice it can be if you have a king who can give you bread. And you will always have bread and fish for free. So it seems, if we look at Scripture, that often people are looking for Jesus for their physical needs. How often do you run after Jesus because you have a specific need? Lord, I'm in big trouble here financially. I'm in, I've got a problem here with the relationship. Last night we sat in a conversation. We are staying with family of mine, with my sister actually. Someone came to visit and he was warned in advance apparently. That's how we found out. Because he arrived there after he had a few drinks. And he was warned that he has to watch his, the language that he uses, you know. So he says, I don't know what line of business you are, but I was warned, you know. And after the third, fourth, fifth time, I don't know, you know, he said, so in what line of business are you? You know, you kind of dread that question. Because the moment you answer, people just close up. But anyway, so I don't know where I was going with that now. But anyway. But how often do we run after Jesus because we've got a, a problem? Oh, yeah, I remember now. He's got a problem. We want to go and see him today to work on maybe a relationship. Or you can start in from a different angle, say, Father, I, will, I actually do have a physical need. You know, I'd, I've got, I, I want a new job. And now you start speaking to the Lord. So usually we start off by having a physical challenge or a physical need, and that's why we're running after Jesus. And then when these people arrive at Jesus, they, he tells them to do not work for the food that perishes, that's verse 27, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father set his seal. And then they ask this question, but what must we then do to be doing the works of God? You see, there's a line between doing things that we like feeling or what we feel we should be doing or what we actually should be the works of God. I just want to translate this verse correct because it says actually, if you can just put that up there, it says, if you translate that right, it says, what must we do and what state must we be to be doing or what state must we stay in to be functioning of God? So instead of looking at faith from our side, we must try and understand what does God want to teach us from his side about what faith is all about. So I'm going to do this now because I think this is the right thing. Instead of learning what God's will for me is in how I should function, for God. So what works must we then be doing to be able to do the works of God? 
Jesus says, now you must eat the bread that gives life into eternity. And they answer very much the same as the lady at the well that says, that, give me that water then, you know, because if I never have to come back to the well to drink water, fantastic. We're thinking physically. Give me that bread then, then we, can, we don't have to be hungry again. And they're thinking about their ancestors in the desert having manna from heaven. Said, so Moses gave us manna. He says, no, no, the Father, God the Father gave you that, not Moses. So they're still thinking physically. And then he says, no, this is the work of God. Do what God expects. Because if we think from our side, we're thinking from the flesh. You know, if I do something and I'm thinking, we sang, we, we just adored the Lord this morning, praised and said, you know, you are worthy. But the moment I'm doing something and I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm wor- actually I'm worthy. And if I do this, I'm meaningful. Is that from the flesh? Or do I just serve the king without expecting to be told that you're meaningful or that's worth something because my life belongs to him? Because if I, if I do things because I want to feel worthy and you know, have worth in a sense, it's from the flesh. And Jesus said, if you just continue that scripture, John 6, later in verse 60, he says, or 63, he says, the flesh is no help at all. If we look at Jesus, because we start off by a physical need, we'll always have a physical need. Always. On a daily basis, I can give you ten reasons why I have to run to Jesus, because of physical challenges. But in Jesus, these things change. The people saw someone with, you know, certain powers, if we can say it like that, and they wanted to make him king. They missed the fact that what he did right there in front of them, who he is, and what they could have had in him. And he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes that I am true, and this is just my words that I put in there, or trustworthy, shall never thirst. Now, it's interesting that the word that says, whoever comes to me, the right translation for that word, but we can't translate it because it doesn't make sense in our language. He says, whoever becomes to me. So it means that we should become like Jesus. So whoever becomes to me. I don't know about you. You know, when we're together here, it's easy for, for me, in a sense, to know that, you know, if someone else walks in here, they will see me. I'm really, you know, really I'm trying to surrender all of my heart to focus on Jesus, to praise Him, to worship Him, to be joyful, you know. And then someone might else might think, wow, that guy really is following Jesus. But let me tell you, if I stand in front of the mirror all by myself and I think about the time that I've lost my temper in town, you know, I'm thinking, Ugh, I didn't really become like Jesus there. Actually, I lost it. I became someone else. Or the times that you look at your finance, you think, Lord, what's happening here? You know, in a few years' time, I'm, I'm at the age of retirement, and you feel this concern, and you're thinking, but why? You know, if someone else would have spoken to him, would they say, but this is truly someone with faith? No. I'm exactly like Peter, seeing the waves. 
sinking. And he says, no, no, if you become to me, he says, you will never hunger. Sorry, I'm speaking about a verse I didn't even read. Verse 35, he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You know, so if I be, the more and more I become like Jesus, in Jesus, the less I'm focused on the physical things. I don't know if, I don't know if you've ever experienced it. You know, you, you run to Jesus with all your, your long list. And you walk away after your time of prayer and you feel, I've given that, but I don't really feel that, feel that fulfillment in Jesus. But then you, you spend time in, in the presence of the Lord and you kind of forget about that list. And suddenly, you walk away and you feel, I'm so, you know, sturdy in my faith. Why do I have to tell my father? He knows exactly. And obviously, we do speak to our father about our, our challenges. But that's not the focus. The focus is, I want to be with my dad. You know, just the other day, I heard this testimony of, Someone, one of our brothers in Jesus in uh, Cambodia. And this guy shared his testimony to a friend of mine. And he said, you know, we'll be thrown in prison and we will spend a certain amount of time in prison. And he says, then they will take away our food. Because that's one way of getting to you. You know. And then later they take away your water. And he says, I've learned one thing. I can go without food. And I've learned I can go without water, but I can't go without Jesus. What does it say? That's the bread of life. You and I might not have been there, but if, if we're in that situation, I think you might get to a point where you say, Lord, take me. I don't mind the bread and the water. Take me. But you have to become to Jesus and believe in him. You know, that you can get to that point to understand who you are. You've tasted that bread of eternity, of everlasting life. Jeremiah 17, if you can just put that up there. You know, whenever we, I think often we are so busy doing things because it makes us feel I'm actually doing something worthwhile. Instead of being in Jesus, to become to Him, like He says in John 6.35, we have to be very careful because our hearts can deceive us. Thinking I'm doing stuff instead of being in Jesus. Because out of who I am, things flow. Out of who I am, I want to serve. I want to love. I want to be part of reaching out to other people who haven't tasted the bread. But I don't start on this side doing because I think it's good, you know. It's, I think, if I think that way, it says the, the heart is very deceitful. It says there, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways. Jeremiah 31 it says, then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy, and I will comfort them, 
and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. You can only taste the goodness of the, of the Lord, you know, when you're in Jesus. I want to tell you, Lizette and myself have been privileged to be in Israel in the times of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is, I think, about September somewhere. And then the Jews celebrate the time that they were, you know, were taken out of Egypt. And, they were, and then they built all these small little tented structures. And they celebrate that actually they were on a journey back to the promised land. But then you go into the streets at night and you see the women and the children <clears throat> and the men. They dance and they sing. And you stand and you think, it's amazing. They've never met the Messiah, but they actually celebrate the fact that the Lord delivered them from Egypt. And then you walk into other gatherings of people who say, but hey, I'm a Christian, which was actually a name given to the people that followed Christ. And they don't even dance like that. And they don't sing with that, that much joy. Because that's what it should be like, because we've met the Messiah. You know, I remember one time, just to give you an example, we arrive at the airport, and now the plane has been delayed. And we sit there and we think, well, just as if the, heart, the, the Lord puts on your heart, you know what, you can waste the time sitting here. Maybe you can do something more worthwhile. Take out the guitar and starts playing, starts worshipping the Lord. And suddenly, other people start coming closer, they look what we're doing, and then people are joyful. You know, if you like... I think very few people can sing about the joy of the Lord and just stand like that. You want to dance, you know. Some of the people in Africa or South Africa get it much, they do it much better than other, other people. You go to the colored communities, I mean, they don't stand still. They start dancing and they walk around. I always lose my wife in the colored churches she's, because she danced with the people, you know. So then people come to us and they say, uh, they're already part of a group. And they say, listen, which group is this? Can we please be part of this group? Why? Because I've seen joy. And this is what God says. He says, actually, this was given, speaking about the people experiencing the release or the, you know, the, the saving work of, of God, bringing them back. And they say they will dance, in a, you know, they will experience the joy in abundance. But if you've tasted what it's like you know, to become to Jesus, you will live with joy. So, coming back to what's God's will for my diet, I can speak a lot on the will of God, but that's something for another time and another day. But just to, if you continue, I'm going to verse 35 in John 6, but it says there, sorry, verse, it says, but I say to you, this, verse 36, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me Come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that is given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Someone said this morning, part of a word, is if we behold the Son, the word that says, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son means to see that something is unusual. 
you know. And you and I all know what it's like, you know. Let's say, for instance, in three months' time, laptops doesn't look like this anymore. It changes completely. You know what it's like. Your mind starts, starts playing games. Shouldn't I get one of these new things? I mean, or my phone is so, it's five years old, and it's really giving me problems now. The battery doesn't last. I've got a cracked screen. I'm not going to replace it for the third time again. I should get a new. Your mind starts playing games. But it says, whoever looks on the sun. How many scriptures can we find to say, keep your eyes focused? Think about Hebrews. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. And when we become to Jesus, you know, I think you and I become unusual. Don't you agree? Then we become unusual because we act different. We think different. We speak different. I mean, sorry, Derek. You come to Queenstown now. You know, we've been in the, on Carte Blanche a few years ago because of the infrastructure, you know. And you start speaking to people. And they will say to you, I've met someone in the queue waiting for the, uh, to get to the cash register to pay and saying, I haven't seen you in a long time. Yeah, we're leaving. Why? Where are you going? No, we're going to the Western Cape before they build the wall. Then you can't enter the Western Cape anymore, you know. <laughs> you get the next guy. I'm so tired of Queenstown. I don't want to live here anymore, you know. And then you get to other people saying, or you go to Egypt and you sit with a guy who stays in a community of 30,000 people, unbelievers. They don't have the Bible in their own language. He's staying there because he's trying to translate the Bible so that they can have at least a scripture in their own language with the expectation that the Lord will bring someone to faith. And I'm thinking, Lord, if he can stay here, why can't I stay in Queenstown? On a daily basis, his life, you know, he might lose his life. The previous year, we, were, we went to visit a church and we prayed with a guy leading there. The previous year, there was a bomb explosion that killed 46 Christians. And you know how they respond. Let me tell you how they respond. So in South Africa, the politics plays a big role in the media, people singing, kill a boer, kill a farmer. And we respond, how, not we, but a lot of people respond, it's now time to take up the weapons. That's a conversation you find. Two weeks ago, I was at a men's camp, and the guy says, I believe you should be weapon or armed at all time. Carry your weapon right here. And I'm saying, well, it's, you know, it's one thing. And I understand what you say. I also have family. And I also will obviously protect my family if I can. I said, but there's, there's just one thing. He says, what? I see five guys come into your house, and you said you're going to kill them. I mean, it's one thing to say you're going to kill a guy. And there are two people that's armed, and you kill them. You can defend that. But what about the other three? Because... Everybody, the part of the conversation was you have to kill everybody because you can't go to court because they will say, you're guilty, you're guilty, they're going to work together. I said, how do you get past God with that? The guys in Egypt, after the bomb blast said, and the Muslims said, that's what we do. We kill Christians. And the Christians respond, they said, yes, we know. But we forgive. And I'm thinking... That's their life. And if Jesus says, whoever becomes to me will not hunger. Lord, I won't hunger to move away. I won't hunger to have a better house. I won't hunger to have better circumstances. I'll just be content in where you want me.
I won't have this thirst to never be happy in my town or the friends I have. I'm losing friends because they're not going to retire. All of them have bought houses at the sea because they don't want to stay. Become to Jesus. Believe in him. You know, I want to end with this. We can speak a lot about the will of the Father. And Jesus says, the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. If you speak about the will of the Father, one of the first things we learn is that the will of the Father is that you should be saved. The question is, you and I sit here today, we don't know when Jesus will come to take us away. We don't know. But will He find us being saved? Because if you look in Scripture, especially this one I'm going to read to you now, because it says, in, just going back to verse 35, he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever becomes to me or comes to me shall not hunger, and who believes in me, believes means to be find trustworthy in me. And how am I trustworthy? I'm living my salvation. Do you know that there are 17 examples in Scripture of people who fell out, and it's not maybe the right way of saying it, but who fell out of the grace of God? 17 people who didn't end their life in in being saved. And he says, so if you, if you believe in me, you have to be found by the Father in me being trustworthy in me. That means, Lord, I've become like you. I'm following you step by step, more and more. And then you read Revelation in the last book in the Bible. We all look forward to the time. Amen. And then he says, this is Revelation, where am I, 22, verse 6. Someone read it from here. He says, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place? And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And then he said to me this. Listen to this. He says, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near, let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. The word still is used 93 times in the New Testament, and the most of them are in the Revelation. It means to continue doing things. And the righteous means to be in the right standing with the Father. I've got to continue being in the right standing with the Father. And yesterday I said to someone, you can never be on this journey alone because you won't stay in the right standing with the Father. I need you guys to help me to stay, to stay in the right standing with the Father. And that's why it's so amazing if we come together to worship the Lord because this encouraged me. I can go back. If I was there all alone, you know, I might hang on there for a few weeks and then I need to get together with other people again. We go that side just think about it now, 
to Egypt, visit this friend of ours, and then we spend time. He's made friends, a few friends, but he's got one specific guy, a Muslim guy. And he invites a few people because he invited us to his house, this Muslim guy, to have a meal with him. And afterwards, he asks his friend, are all these guys Christians? He says, yes. He says, why? Because they are always laughing. They are always joyful. So we leave. And when we left Egypt, he says, when are they coming again? And he said, no, you know, we're planning on coming again next year. And in their culture, they don't trust you except if you introduce them to your family. They don't introduce you, them, you to their family because you're not allowed. Men and women are not allowed to, to see each other or whatever. So the next day I took Lizette with. We arrived there. We invited. So he's so, he's actually surprised that my wife's there. So he shows into his house to go and speak to his wife. And his wife is Arabic. My wife is Afrikaans. But it's, it'll work because it's A and A, Arabic and Afrikaans. But so we're having this conversation, having a meal with the, all the men, and we're talking through the translator. Our friend translates. Afterwards, we leave the house. And I said, Lizette, what was it like? She said, fantastic. I said, what? How did who translate? I said, no, we just you know, went like this. We spoke about the children and the grandchildren and everything. I said, well, that's amazing. And when we leave, after two weeks, this guy cries. Did he come to faith? No. But experienced something of Jesus. And he asked this friend of ours, a Christian friend, when are they coming again? You see, we have to become to Jesus more and more. And that's why we need each other. For you to say to me, you know what? I see this in your life. This is not becoming to Jesus, brother. I need to see this in your life. And I have to say, Wow, I never realized it. And tomorrow morning when I get up and I look in this mirror and I'm thinking, hey, Pete said you're a little bit impatient. You know, you need to work on that. Or standing in, in a conversation, you taking control of the conversation is all about you. I have to take that. I have, I have to grow. When I look in the mirror and say, Jesus, show me. I want to be more like you. And in that way, in that way we'll continue that, you know, And the righteous still do right, staying in the right position or the right standing with the Father. I want to encourage you with that word. I don't know if the Lord has put anything on your heart while I shared, or if there's anything, you're welcome to maybe just test it with Derek. Father, I want to honor you this morning for bringing us together. And Jesus, we live in times that so more it's important, Lord, that we should look different. We should sound different. We should literally, Lord, how we should smell different. You say in your word, we're an aroma. That people, those who seek and long for you, they will love this aroma. And for those who have decided to reject your, your outstretched hand and your love that you continually offer them, Lord, it says the smell will actually offend them. But Jesus, I just pray that, 
that our hearts will truly be to become to you more and more. So that we can experience, wow, I don't have this hunger, this specific physical hunger, whatever it might be. And that we will be found trustworthy in you, Jesus. And thank you that I can pray that, Lord, for this church. So many people here this morning that said, I'm going to give my life. I've been here at TMT for, for so many years and I'm going to serve. But, Lord, that they will f really experience that they grow in such a way that they will be found trustworthy in you. People will encourage other people to follow them, to see you more clearly. To look and see, wow, truly Jesus is unusual. He's different, but I want to be like him. And that we'll deliberately experience, Lord, how we can turn more and more to face towards you and turn our backs to the world. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, fella. Pete, why don't you just come for a moment? <clears throat> so, um, yeah, Pete just in the middle of the, sh the sermon, just sh not sermon service, just shared something with me uh, in a Gracie Fields to just um, share something um, in regards to just salvation and seeing Jesus as Savior.